Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at the future of learning. I'm Emily Tate, a reporter here covering early childhood and K-12 education. What does it mean to be a good citizen? To me, it's little things like reading the news, putting your trash in the right bins, turning the water off when you're not using it, and donating used clothing and books when you're done with them. It's also bigger things like voting, volunteering, and treating everyone around you with compassion and respect. These are all no-brainers, right? We've been hearing and learning about this since we were kids. And of course, today's kids still hear all these messages too. But they live in a world that is so much more complicated than in years past, because they're steeped in today's digital landscape. After all, the online world is filled with all the trappings of a modern society. You can meet people online, you can shop and make purchases, you can establish a personality or build your brand. You can use the internet to donate to charity, to stay informed about current events, and to keep in touch with old friends. The flip side is that you can also use it to harass, bully, and intimidate others, to mislead them and misrepresent yourself. All of this amounts to what is essentially a new frontier in society, and it's often called digital citizenship. Over the summer, I sat down with one of the foremost experts on this topic, Mary Alice Curran, founder and executive director of the Digital Citizenship Institute. According to Curran, digital citizenship is less about a list of online do's and don'ts and more about promoting social responsibility and human connection. She'll also tell you that the term digital citizenship is rarely the best way to get people to pay attention. During our conversation, Curran gave me a lot to think about and she suggested some simple things anyone can do to be a better citizen, both on and offline. Because the truth is, even the adults can use a lesson these days on how to treat each other with humanity, compassion, and respect on the internet. So what is digital citizenship? So as I have evolved on my own journey with digital citizenship, I certainly started in a very reactive place trying to just catch up um, there were headlines early, early on with uh, teens being cyberbullied and teen suicides that really affected me that I was reacting. I was trying to catch up. But as I have evolved as an educator, um, I've gone from a reactive place to a really proactive place. And so I think that I first started with looking at safety. I've probably then added another layer of social responsibility. And now I'm at a point where it's really um, that digital citizenship needs to be a verb. It needs to be an action. It's um, using technology and social media for social good, for solving real problems in local, global, and digital communities, and that we collectively do this together. And so if we can't humanize the person sitting next to us, that's the first thing that we've got to be able to do, then we're never going to be able to apply that to people around the world that might look different, might speak a different language, practice different traditions and cultures, so humanizing the person next to us, then we can relate that to humanizing people around the world. And then that third point that would be humanizing the person across the screen. So in a long way, digital citizenship to me is human connections. It's all about bringing back the humanity. And you mentioned uh, your journey. So how did you get into this work? So I was a faculty member at the time. It was St. Joseph College, and it was an all-women's undergraduate program, um, which changed to the University of St. Joseph in um, West Hartford, Connecticut. And I was a faculty member on record for the ed tech program, both at the undergraduate and the graduate level. And we were really, I feel like in the early 2000s, focused in on like 
just like the, the ed tech part. And at the time, digital citizenship was an add-on. It was, you know, an add-on to a course or professional development or even for conferences. I mean, I felt like it was an add-on to a tech conference or a bullying conference or a cyberbullying conference. And so I was the, you know, one of the first faculty members that was like, we need to carve out time and space because we're putting the cart before the horse. Um, We really need to lead with digital citizenship, not lead with that ed tech. And so I started creating courses. And then one course led into another course and workshops and events. And then again, by probably 2000, yeah, 2011, things changed drastically for me. I created a first year seminar for my incoming freshmen called Please to Tweet You. Are you a socially responsible digital citizen? And knowing that a first year seminar is about building community, I thought this would be a great foundation no matter what the undergraduates might be studying later on. And over the summer before the course started, I thought it would be even more meaningful if we were to connect and collaborate with a classroom someplace else. So I put a blog post out. And to make a long story short, a second year teacher in Birmingham, Alabama said, my high school juniors would love to join you. Like That whole experience changed my teaching practice where I could never teach the same way again. I always had to break down classroom walls and do things collaboratively. Um, So her high school juniors and my college freshmen collaborated on defining what digital citizenship is. And to this day, it's still my it's it's still my definition about to be a human in the 21st century. We need to think and act. And the emphasis was on act um, locally, globally and digitally. And so that event really kind of spearheaded that um, we needed to have opportunities to really learn as a community. Since then, we've really been all around the world working with school communities where everybody's got a seat at the table. I personally have heard about digital citizenship for several years, but sometimes it still feels really abstract to me. So maybe you could help ground that with some examples, like an example of um, even from your own students of good digital citizenship or um, an example of bad digital citizenship. Okay, so I, uh, it's, I feel like the first thing is trying to change those don't statements. Go look at your tech policies and what does the language say? Because there's a lot of don't do this statements. Um, I'm always looking at how we change those don'ts to do's I will statements so we can empower um, our students. But one of my favorite examples that I share all the time are four and five-year-olds in Scotland because if four and five-year-olds can do it, I mean, I, there's more that I can do. So there is a a classroom in Scotland, and uh, when you're four and five, no matter where you live, you're learning your math facts. You also learn about your community, and at the time, um, her students learned that homelessness is a serious issue in Glasgow, and that the number one issue is access to clean sanitation. So this actually adds in this layer of connecting digital citizenship with the global goals, which is, to me, where we should all be headed. And so alongside their teacher, they um, decided that to be motivated to memorize these, um, learn their math facts, that they would put out on social media what they'd learned about their community, what they were doing. Would you like to sponsor us, our class, as we learn our math facts? Because all that money, we want to be able to donate a toilet, you know, for our community. And the best part of the whole story is... They weren't, it wasn't just one toilet. 
it was four toilets that they were able to donate. And that, to me, is like digital citizenship in action. Um, and it, it, like I said, if four and five-year-olds can do it, we all can do it. We can all do more. I, I can tell you, talking with a lot of people, it is an abstract term. And I, I tend to not even mention digital citizenship. Hmm. Some people will say, drop the digital. I, I don't think we're, I would hope at some point we're at a place where we can drop the digital, but it's still so abstract. I feel like if I have to use it, I want to say digital citizenship. But I actually try to say, how about using technology and social media for good? Like, you, how do you use tech for good? Is really, if I am in a situation that I'm really trying to get the point across where people aren't just going to tune out and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. When you say, how do you use tech for good? How are we using technology to solve real problems? People completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Recently, there's been an effort to change the narrative because so much, as you said, is about don't. Don't share inappropriate photos online. Don't, um, you know, cyber bully. Don't bully kids over the internet. Um, so, you know, when you are thinking about teaching students um, about how to use internet for good, how do you change that conversation? We personally look at it as like looking through a mindset. And so there are four attributes that we're always, in fact, when we work with school communities, I don't actually think I'm using the word digital citizenship. Um, to me, if I go in with that approach, it's like a checklist. But if I take this mindset, which I think is a, you know, a community mindset where we're providing experiences, because that's really that actionable piece, where students can be empathetic and compassionate, where they can be entrepreneurial, where they're solving problems. Another key component is where experiences to be inclusive. And this is that, that universal design. You know that this isn't just for some students in some communities, this is for all types of learners. And then that last piece is about really an innovative mindset because the entrepreneur is like solving problems that already exist, you know, but the innovator is already thinking ahead before a problem is even there. So those four things I feel are ways that we can all embed digital citizenship without ever really, you don't even have to mention the word digital citizenship. Let's embed this into absolutely everything that we do. So I look at those four and five-year-olds and I think it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what grade or content. Um, this is something that we can all do, not just in school, but when we, when we think about the adults. I'm a parent. Um, actually, I'm here at ISTE right now with my 12-year-old. And when he was nine, he started his own company called Digsit Kids because he was like, Mom, why aren't kids inspiring and empowering other kids? So he started Digsit Kids and it curates great stories about all ages of students around the world using tech for good because those aren't the headline stories that we hear. We hear all the horrible things and then even as adults you hear those horrible headlines and you're afraid and fear uh, breeds fears. So we're just trying to change that narrative. There are already amazing kids of all ages um, using tech for good. How can we get those stories trending? That's really, I feel like, our mission behind the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the four and five-year-olds in Scotland. Um, I, like, how does it? How does digital citizenship, whether you want to call it that or not, look at different ages, especially if you're trying to teach these concepts to 
you know, preschoolers and kindergartners compared to high schoolers or college students? Well, I feel like this is like an ongoing conversation. There are certain, certain things, of course, about how to be safe, how to be socially responsible. And that would change, I feel like, as you continue to, to go through school and through life. But social good is something that is innate that all of us can be doing um, and we should be doing every single day. Like I can tell you back to that, um, that first year seminar course that I taught, I remember during that semester before class started, there were students huddled around a computer kind of laughing and somebody's like most embarrassing moment that goes viral ends up being like everybody's laughable moment until you see that that could be me so you can humanize that. And I remember one of the students coming in looking at what the rest were kind of laughing about and I remember her saying, take that down. If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And I was like cheering because you know, to have students realize your responsibility, like your words and your actions. So my son would say, we start too late to have this conversation. We've got to start younger, like those four and five-year-olds. And we have to have those conversations too about balanced. I think a lot of times people assume because I'm in this space that I'm like rah-rah tech, but I am not. I am rah-rah human race. And, you know, there are things, there are times that like, <clears throat> we'll go to, I'm from Boston, so I love the Red Sox. We'll go to Fenway Park. And I'll say, we're going device-free. And then my son will say, but I'm going to catch the, you know, I'm going to catch the ball this time. I'll say, well, guess what? You'll remember that for the rest of your life. You don't need that to be captured. Because how many times do we go to events, whether they're sporting events or concerts, and people are watching, experiencing it through a device? You know, to answer that question, there are so many different things that we need to be modeling as adults, um, talking to our young people about because the stories that we'll hear are all just about tech addiction um, and how students are, are addicted. Look at some of the adults. Have you gone to dinner and seen people on dates? So much of this conversation also happens um, with about um, around kids and that makes sense because <clears throat> kids today are digital natives and they need to know how to behave online in a way that is productive but adults are also online too um, so how are they being included in this conversation so we've been putting these summits on since 2015 at, around the world and around the united states but we took that idea because it's a community approach where we need everybody at the table and we've applied them to school communities so we've been working with this incredible school Lakeshore Central in upstate New York. And there was a pilot group of 20 classrooms from kindergarten through 12th grade. It was an ongoing relationship for an entire year. This contract was for an entire year. And then the ultimate goal was we put on an event and we put on a DigSit Summit, but for a school community. And we invited the outside community to join these 20 classrooms. It was like an open house. But instead of talking at kids, now these adults that came to the school, they were learning alongside the students, and it was so powerful. Um, because I, I believe the adults were, oh, this isn't just something that has to happen in school, that students do. This is what we do at home, but not only as a parent, this is what we do at home. When I go to work, no matter what I do, 
I have a responsibility as well. And so we're taking those summits and we're going to more school communities um, to really promote that idea that, you know, when we worked with that school district, we worked with the 20 pilots. We worked with the, when we were physically there, we worked with the parents. We worked with the um, after school boys and girls club. We worked with family social services. You know, we wanted to bring in, this wasn't just about what was happening inside. And so that contract's been extended and, and then we'll continue to support those, that group of 20. And then we're adding, like the athletics department is like, we, I, you know, I want my student athletes and my coaches um, and I really want an emphasis for the parents because actually that athletic coach was like, you know, there's a lot of drama, social media drama that adults bring, not just our, uh, you know, the students. Because you'll hear those stories, the headline stories are the student athlete just lost a scholarship or got kicked off a team because of a decision they made on social media. But parents have a serious responsibility um, in all of this. So we've all seen divisive Facebook posts between adults or um, you know parents and we've seen Trump tweets. I mean we can't expect everybody's parents and grandparents and siblings to go through um, you know digital citizenship curriculum or training but what can we do? What are simple ways to talk to adults um, or your peers if you are an adult about how to use the internet for good. I, usually when I talk to adults, the first thing that I'll ask is how many people, and I'll ask you, Emily, do you sleep with the phone by your bed? Yes. Okay, so I always say I want to welcome you back to the human race. <laughs> I want you to go back and get like an old-fashioned alarm clock because I would like you to say hello to human beings in your home, any furry creatures, you know, because Right now, we're modeling that I'm saying good morning and good night to a device. And so this is on all of us. This isn't just something our students are supposed to do, like our, our, or our children, our teens. This is something that the whole family should be practicing. And that's one simple thing that we can all do. It's like a family, like a contract, I guess. It isn't just for the young people in the family. It's for all of us to get reconnected. But these more sound like... Um, you know, removing technology rather than using the technology for good. Okay, so to add that part about how do you add that social good piece, I feel like you, okay, there are a perfect example in Texas. There was a young girl, elementary age, and she was doing a science project in school. And she decided she was going to look at plastic bags in the bayou and how much it's like polluting um, the bayou. And so the project ended at school, but it didn't end for this young girl. So with her parents and with her grandmother in particular, she went and she did a um, change.org petition to get enough signatures so she could meet with the mayor of Houston. And she came up with, with her parents and a grandmother, um, how to make very easily out of like old t-shirts, recyclable bags. And how that bag, this is that uh, adding all of those mindsets, how that bag could help like if people are worried about taking away jobs, you know, like a, the, for the plastic bag industry or what have you, then here, this is a job that like with t-shirt companies that people could still continue to do. And that to me, that idea of how can you 
you would find something that is of interest to your child, right? Mm -hmm. it, it can all be different. So that young girl, it had to be the bayous. Uh, but like homelessness and that your child is really interested in doing that and you figure out as a family how you're going to support and how that's going to become something that really does make a significant change in your community. So whatever it might be that your child has firing their belly about, take that, capitalize on it, and then that's how a family, as a connected family, you can start to make a difference in your own community. And then those stories inspire other families to say, oh, we do something similar. Or, oh, we really like to do that. We could do something, you know, and it will just continue. You've been listening to the Ed Surge podcast. Each week we feature conversations like this one. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to keep up with future episodes. You can also support the show by taking a minute to tell us how we're doing with a rating or review. This episode was edited by me, Emily Tate, and produced by Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening.